Happy Mother's Day to all you moms today. We're grateful for you and pray that God blesses you in a rich way this morning as uh, this service unfolds. Last week, my family uh, headed down to Cedar Falls um, to help my son Nate specifically put a bedroom in the basement and and, and a a main room down there also. I didn't realize when I was uh, volunteering to do this that he uh, was going to put up 30 pieces of sheetrock. That's a lot. Um, And we had to build the walls, put the sheetrock up, and do all kinds of uh, electrical work and all that kind of stuff. We didn't get done. About uh, two and a half days into this thing, I said, Nate, I'm old. I'm tired. And uh, this is about what I can do to help you. I think I'm done for a while. I need a week or two to recover. Uh, Came back from that very, very sore and tired. But I, I, I was thinking on that. Parents, and specifically moms, will do about anything for their kids. If it's a healthy family dynamic and all that, I, I've noticed that parents, and specifically moms, will, will really be sacrificial for their families. I don't want to embarrass my wife because she is in this service. So I won't look her direction, which means you all know where she's sitting now. Um, she's a rock star when it comes to being a mom. I've uh, watched her over the years, minister to our kids, and pour her life into our children so willingly and so sacrificially that uh, it amazes me. Um, I know that on a day like this, it can be a painful experience or it can be a delightful experience, depending on your relationship with your mom. Sometimes we've been rejected by moms or neglected by moms, and this day is full of of pain. But I think, um, by and large, the rule of thumb on a day like this is that most of us thank God for our moms, amen? And uh, they've been very sacrificial and instrumental in, in our lives. Um, in our series here that we're, we're on, this Family Matters series, we've been kind of taking this hike. And we're looking at uh, different aspects of family and, and, and being the family of God that he intends us to be. And this morning we're going to get to the scenic view of what it means to pour your life into another human being. What it means to uh, love an, another person unconditionally and sacrificially. And, and moms do that really well. There was a reason I kind of started with that whole uh, Mother's Day uh, uh, look this morning. It's because moms do illustrate this so well by and large. Um, two things really matter in life, I think. The older I get, life gets the simpler the older you get, really it does. Um, two things really matter. One, that we love God. That we love them with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And two, we love other people. Those two things, when you drill down in life, are the only two things that are of any substance. Jesus was being questioned by the leaders of his day, the Pharisees of his day, and teachers of the law. What commandment is the greatest commandment? And he articulated what I just shared with you. He said, love the Lord your God with all your strength, with all your heart, and with all your soul. And then he said, the seconds like it. He added this on. He gave them a bonus. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. When all of a sudden, done in life, two things will boil out. And that is love God and, and, and love people. And this makes sense that this would be what the Son of God would articulate as the most important. See, God is a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he loves himself. He's in love with himself. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. The Holy Spirit loves the Father. The Holy Spirit loves the Son. And vice versa. And I could go on with all those iterations. You get what I'm saying. So it makes sense if God created us in his image that you and I are going to do best when we understand the primacy 
of loving other people. We just get into the sweet spot of, of relationship. And so this morning, for a few moments, we're going to look at an Old Testament mom, I think, that kind of flashes out for you and I what it means to pour our lives into another human being, what it means to love another person sacrificially. And we're going to look at the mother of Moses because I think she's so illustrative of what it means to pour your life into another person's life. By the way, that's our big thought today. Pour your life into another person's life. If you walk out of here and forget this point, it's not my fault because this is an obvious point. This is what today's about. Pour your life into another person's life. This is the rest stop we're at in our hike, so to speak. This is a scenic outlook of our hike here in Family Matters this morning. We are looking at what it means to pour our life into another person's life. Let me give you some background. As the Old Testament book of Exodus begins, we read about how the Israelites, who have now become enslaved by Egypt, uh, were kind of in a bad situation. Now, originally what had happened was Joseph had gone to Egypt and through the providence of God had risen to second in command in Egypt. And God had told Joseph, there's a famine coming to this land. And so I'm sending you ahead of your family, so to speak, so that you can prepare them and they won't all perish. And so Joseph's this hero in Egypt. And his whole family who had rejected him, his brothers at least had rejected him and sold him into slavery, they were in trouble, and the famine was coming upon them too in the land of Canaan, and, and Israel needed a place to go to to survive, and God had sent Joseph ahead into Egypt so that through the wisdom of God, the Israelites wouldn't perish. And he was a rock star, so to speak, when it came to Egypt at that time. He was, you know, I'm sure an exalted one because God had used him so mightily to save everybody. But now, as we read Exodus, a, a new pharaoh had come up, into Egypt. He didn't know Joseph, didn't remember all Joseph had done. And he looked around and he said, my, there are a lot of Israelites here. These people really know how to have babies. They're fertile. A lot like Grace Point, amen? There are a lot of babies around here. Every time I walk in, I go, oh, you had a baby. I didn't even know you're pregnant. You know, I mean, it's just like, wow. And I'm not very attentive. I'm going to admit that right off the bat. But we have lots of babies. They had lots of babies. And so this new pharaoh was, was, was worried about this. And he said, if they keep growing like this, they're just going to take us over. And so he enslaved them and forced them into hard labor. And it is, it's into this environment then that Moses is born. He's born into this very unfavorable environment, a very hostile environment. I want to read about it to you from Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Listen to what it says. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son, which she saw that he was a fine child. She hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. 
So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. So we're at the scenic stop on our, our Family Matters series, right? And we're looking at what it looks like to pour your life into another person. And here we read how Moses' mom did that very thing. She's such a great example of what this looks like. I want to take this view in with you for a few moments this morning. And I want to glean some things and learn some things from her of what it means tangibly to pour our life into another person. First of all, we see this about the mother of Moses. She protected her son. She protected her son. She initially hid him uh, as best she could. Um, the Pharaoh of Egypt had instructed the midwives uh, of the Hebrews, you're to kill any baby boys born. We've got to stop this growth pattern of the Israelites. If it's a baby girl, go ahead and let her live. But if it's a baby boy, kill them. But the midwives feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. And, and, and so they circumvented the, the, the commands of Pharaoh. Well, it's into this hostile environment then that Moses is born. And his mother did everything she could think of to keep the little boy from harm. But he got too old to hide. So she places him in this little wickered basket, this little basket made out of reeds, covered with tar and pitch, and she puts him in the Nile River among the reeds. But she didn't say, oh, I hope everything works out for him. The older sister watched over her little brother. She's still protecting her son through her daughter. You see this protection thing going on here, how she's watching over her son? Let's talk for a moment. I a lot of this message is just me sharing my heart with you, okay? So I, I, I just, it's not that scripted, and I want you to hear my heart this morning. Church, listen. You and I are called to protect the culture we find ourselves in. Do you understand that mandate of God? We're called to look over other people and be concerned about their souls. We're to protect one another. We're family. We're to have this protective attitude towards one another and towards other human beings. If we don't care about the lost, if we don't care about the frail, if we don't care about the disenfranchised, who in the world's going to? And we're to have this protective heart towards them, this heart that wants to help, that is looking at them with compassion and concern. I think oftentimes in the church, we're our own worst enemies. We listen to slanderous reports. We vilify one another. There's always dirt and scuzz we can find on each other. But family doesn't dwell on that. Family is about protecting one another. And we're part of the human race. And we need to look at the ones far from God and not vilify them and hate on them. We need to, to, to be concerned about their welfare and be concerned about their souls. If we don't do it, nobody in the world will. And so we're to have this protective kind of outlook on life. God has given us that power. The power of the Holy Spirit within us. To be world changers, really. And we do it by having a protective attitude in part. That's how we pour our lives out onto other people. Well, let's continue in this scenic outlook and, and get to another uh, view that's really important to see this morning. The Bible says that Moses' mom looked upon him and said, this is a fine child. See, she saw his potential. She saw his potential. Now, I'm going to grant you this this morning. Every mom and dad looks at their little child and says, fine child. I've seen some ugly babies in my time, I tell you what. 
big old ears, big old nose, they're really ugly. And mom and dad are cooing over that kid like it's the best looking kid ever. And I'm thinking, that's one ugly kid, you know. But they love them. That's what parents do. They love their children unconditionally. It doesn't matter what they look like. It's their child. And they love that child. Most parents are skewed that way. If you're a healthy parent, you're skewed that way. And listen to me. If we're a healthy church, if we're a healthy church family, we're going to be skewed, skewed towards seeing the potential in other people. We're going to be skewed that way, amen? We're not going to look at someone and say, I see your problems, I see you're a failure. We're not going to see that. We're going to look at that person and we're going to see in that person what God could do. We're going to have a skewing that way. They may, in the world's term, be a lost cause, but not in God's sight. If we don't have a skewedness towards potential in other people and what God can do, then who will? And I see this in Moses' mom. She looked at her child and she said, fine, child. This child has potential. I find this fact fascinating about Elvis Presley. Some of you won't even know who he is anymore. Some of you know him all too well. His eighth grade music teacher told him, you have no aptitude for singing and gave him a C. I wonder what that music teacher thought when he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Whoops, missed on that one. Listen to my heart. Please listen to my heart. Please. We need to see what God sees in people. We need to be skewed in that direction. And it doesn't mean you have to do a bunch of grand things or grandiose kind of things. Listen, this is a sub-point. Sometimes a small investment can radically change another person's life. A kind word, an acknowledgement of effort, a, a, a promotion of a character quality that's good. It's just seeing other people like God sees them. This kind of thing happened all over the place in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 18, we read about a Jew named Apollos. Listen to his story. A Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew uh, the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. So here you got this zealous Apollos. He's a gifted speaker, and he's going to become a big hitter in the New Testament church. What did Priscilla and Aquila do? They say, hey, come on home. Have a meal with us. And they explained to him more thoroughly the way of Christ. It was a small investment seemingly on the surface, but it had a great impact, I'm sure, on the life of Apollos. Oftentimes, listen to me, oftentimes your investment in somebody, pouring your life in somebody, is not that grand. It's just being willing to make a small investment. Seeing the potential in somebody and acknowledging that potential and investing in it. 
How radically would we change? How radically would our families change if we just implemented this one small thing? If we just saw what could be in somebody because God is at work, amen? How would that change us? I am so tired. I'm going to tell you this. I am so tired of negativity. And I'm not a positive speak person, but I am so tired of people vilifying each other and speaking negative stuff. Why do we do that? What good does that do anybody? I'm telling you what, in your family at home, don't do that. It isn't going to help anything. It's not going to help anybody. See the potential that God has in other people. Speak to that thing, amen. Speak to that. Whether it be at home or whether it be in the church, speak that way. That's what I see Moses' mom do. She looked at her child and said, fine child, fine child. This is a fine child. I can't let him die. She saw the potential. Now we get to something which is amazing, I think. This last uh, uh, few weeks ago, Vicki and I, we traveled down to Utah, and it was just an, it was a, a one amazing view after another as we went around Utah to the national parks. I thought I'd seen it all. I'd get to the next thing and say, whoa. And the views would just captivate you and kind of, cause you to suck your breath in a moment and go, wow, is that real? Is that color real? Well, what we're getting to next here is of that nature. It ought to cause us to catch our breath a little bit. Moses' mom does something that I think we all need to understand. She trusted God's providence over her son. She trusted God's providence over her son. Step into her situation. Nice thunder. Step into her situation. She's taking her three-month-old baby boy. I know some of you have little children. She's taking her little baby boy. She's putting him in this little flimsy reed basket with pitch and tire, and she's putting him in water. She's putting him in water. That's called child abuse in our day. You go to jail if you did that right now. She puts him in the water. And she says, oh, I'm sure she said, oh, God, take care of my baby boy. Protect my, I'm placing him into your care. The most kind, listen to this, the most kind, loving thing you can do for another person is to put them into God's care. The most kind, loving thing you can do for another person is to put them into God's care. I want to talk about this on a couple levels. First of all, I want to talk about home life, family life at home. A lot of people are shutting their car doors right now, aren't they? Rolling up the windows. It's kind of hilarious. At any rate, um, parents, families uh, with children and grandchildren and, and all those dynamics, I want to talk to you all first. Understand, parents, you get to steward your children for about 18 years, but they're not your kids. They're God's kids. And you have to purposely place those kids into God's care. Now, grandparents, you should be doing this also on behalf of your children, your grown children and, and your grandchildren. You should be placing the kids into God's care. Now, this takes on several iterations. When your child is wee little, zero to two years old, so to speak, you're their moral authority, parents. You understand that, right? They're not the brightest bulb on the block yet. They will kill themselves if left to their own devices. Or they'll kill a sibling, or they'll lead their sibling into destruction. You have to watch over them and keep them safe. That's part of what you do. You are their 
moral compass. They don't have cognitive skill yet. I always laugh when I see somebody at the supermarket with a two-year-old, and they're talking to that two-year-old like they're an adult. The child is two. Control your child. Bless everybody around you. Treat them like they're two. They don't get it yet. They're little, right? Understand that. But here's what you do. Even when they're little, you begin to pray for them. I give this doubt to you, God. You care for them a hundred times more than I care for them. You begin to pray that way for them. And then they get a little older and they're five and six and they begin to do a little bit of adventuring out of the home and they're living life a little bit on their own. You're becoming their coach now and you're coaching them on how to do life right. But you're also putting them into God's care all the time. You're instilling in them that God is with them wherever they go and he will not depart from them even when they get old and you're beginning to believe on all this stuff and you're coaching them like crazy. And then they get to the early teenage years and God help all families. Because they're a hormonal nightmare at 12, 13, and 14. And they just don't think right. And they do all this crazy stuff. And you try to talk reason to them. And usually they're not very reasonable. That's when you really need to give them into God's care. Because now you're more like a counselor. And they dive in when they need some help. And then sometimes they, they don't listen to your help anyway. Then they grow older though. In the late teens and early 20s, they kind of seem to come back. And hopefully they've grown now into the reasonable adult that loves Jesus Christ, that's your best bud, your best friend. The goal is to produce out of your family Jesus-loving, responsible adults. But that happens by constantly placing them in God's care all along the path. Let me talk with you a little bit here. When I grew up, my mom did all this, basically kind of parenting thing. My dad worked. I hardly ever saw him. That was a classic American model. I think we reacted to that as a culture. Now we have much more egalitarian parenting. I think that's fantastic. I think that's fantastic. But what I've noticed over the last couple of decades is a lot of helicopter parenting going on now. We're almost overprotective. We've almost shifted too far this way. I want to tell you something. If you're a younger parent, let your child have a little bit of freedom. Yeah, don't have to hover over every event they go to and tell them they're the best kid in the world. You know what happens with hovering parenting and helicopter parenting? Eventually you create a very good, narcissistic, self-absorbed child. You've got to watch out for that because your intentions are really good. But the results may be not what you want them to be. So let the child do some things on their own. That's okay! They'll be fine! They have to grow up to be an independent adult at some point in their life. Help them along a little bit. All right, I'm talking too much, aren't I, on that? But you get what I'm talking about. Now, church, let's go to the church level here. We are family. Amen, church? We are family. And we need to start acting like family. We have to put one another into God's cares. Care. We have to see the sovereignty of God. We have to begin to pray this way for each other, that God's in control. And we need to be so concerned about other people. We don't vilify them. We don't, we don't uh, 
you know, unintentionally think bad of others, but we begin to really put other people into God's care and care that way about them. I was, I was really impacted by a message I heard here in Cedar Falls this last week, part of it anyway. The pastor talked about this idea of stereo prayer that's going on all the time. And he, and he was basically saying this, you got Jesus Christ uh, sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession on our behalf all the time. So you got God the Son praying to God the Father for people all the time, Right? That's what he's doing. He's making intercession. Then you got the Holy Spirit. He's living within the people of God. And what's the Holy Spirit doing? He's groaning at times in ways we can't even articulate. He's groaning for us, and he's groaning for God's will to be accomplished. It's God praying to God in stereo. And what we're to do is join into that stereo, and we're not so much praying to God as we're praying with God. And what does God want us to pray for? People! That people will be saved. He desires that none would perish, but that all would come to salvation. And when we join in that prayer, guess what? We're joining in the symphony of prayer, the stereo prayer that's already going to God. And God will hear that prayer, amen? And man, that's what we're doing. And what we're doing in that prayer is we're putting people into what? God's care. Church, we need to do that. If we don't do it, nobody will. Let's get to one last point here that Moses' mom illustrated so well. She provided for Moses. She provided for him. It's ironic that Moses' mom is called to be a wet nurse for Moses. That's ironic. That's how God works. Pharaoh's daughter finds her, and, and then Moses' sister says, hey, I know somebody that can take care of the child, and Moses' mom now is paid to be Moses' mother. I'm sure that during that time of provision, she also instilled into him the things of God. She whispered into them who he was, who the people of Israel were, and I'm sure she did all that kind of providing for, for her son. She provided for her son as God gave her opportunity. Listen, church, we are to have a provision mentality. You and I have been blessed with insight, with the filling of the Holy Spirit, with the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is a provision that we're supposed to share with others. We have been blessed abundantly with wealth. We have been blessed with time. We've been blessed with influence and relationships. All these provisions that God gives us are so we can provide for others, that we can use this to bless others. I'm not talking, when I use the word provision, about just giving people money. I'm talking about life. I'm talking about relational influence you've been provided with. I'm talking about positional power you've been provided with. I'm talking about family uniqueness you've been provided with. I'm talking about spiritual insight you've been provided with. Use all these things of God freely to bless others. The Bible says those who have received much are required much. Are required much, however I'm trying to say it. You know what I'm saying. At any rate, we need to be one to see the provision side of the equation. I want to illustrate this with, with Aquila and Priscilla here. Uh, it's interesting that Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned by the Apostle Paul at the end of Romans in chapter 16, at the end of 1 Corinthians in chapter 16, in a very affectionate, thankful way. Paul acknowledges this couple. Why? Why did he acknowledge them? What had they done? Well, they had been hospitable. They had been one to have a church in their home. They had helped Paul out many times. What did they do? They simply were willing to be God's provision. They are simply willing to use what God had given them to bless others. I pray for us, church, that that's our legacy. We have a lot of Priscilla and Aquilas around here. That that would be what we're known for. I want to end today with just this summary thought. It's from 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 is really Paul's 
interlude in the book of Corinthians on, on how they were to pour their lives into one another. It's often called the love chapter. It talks about the centrality of love, the character of love, and then the continuity of love. But I love how it starts. Paul starts this little discord in, in the middle of his, um, of, of, his, of his letter by saying, now I'm going to show you the most excellent way. And when he talks about the most excellent way, it's really how you pour your, lo- your life into the life of another person. And so our summary today is this. Loving others is the most excellent way. Pouring your life into others is the most excellent way. This involves the pieces I've talked about this morning. Protection, potential, providence, and provision. It, remember those four words. Remember those four words. Protection, potential, providence, and provision. Pour your life into another human being in this way and you'll experience the most excellent way. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. I, I have about one minute. I'm going to go one more minute, Cal. Sorry. You can't be everything to everybody. Amen? I can't be everything to everybody. Does that disappoint you? Because oftentimes people look at me as pastor and think I'm supposed to be everybody's best friend and be there with every need that needs to be met. And that's a physical impossibility whether you're at a church of 80 or 2,000. We can't be everything to everybody, but we can be somebody to somebody. We can be something special to somebody. All of us need to take up this mandate. All of us need to see what I'm talking about this morning because we are family. And family cares about each other. And all a family doesn't go through one person. That's called dysfunctionality. And you need to minister one to another and minister to this world, minister to your unique families, your unique work situations. You need to minister the things we talked about today because it's the most excellent way to love other people. It's the most excellent way. And because we are family, we all need to do this. So I'm calling you, be the family of God. Please, be the family of God. Say those encouraging words to one another. See the potential in others. Provide when God lays it on your heart. Protect when he tells you to protect. Place people into God's, you know, care, into his providence, because you are the family of God. Amen? Do it. Don't say it's somebody else's job. Don't even look at it as a job, because we're family. Family supersedes jobs. It's not about being a hireling. It's not about doing it because it's duty. It's doing it because you love them. Right? Because we're family. This is so important. We need to begin to act like family. All right, I love you. I'm going to stop. Because if I keep going, I'll just forget saying something. So I'm going to just stop there because that's a good place to stop. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the example of, of a mother, of the mom of Moses. Every time I read this story, I stop. It catches me that someone could love someone so much like that, so unselfishly. She's a hero, Lord. And we see in her this idea of protection. And we see in her this idea of potential and providence and provision, Lord. And these are key elements and key building blocks to creating this beautiful panoramic view of what it means to pour our life into somebody else. So I pray, Lord, that you would give us each a person to do that for. 
whether it be our immediate families or neighbors or workers or family of God or, or just someone who maybe we haven't even met yet, Lord. Tune us in. Tune our hearts into this, Jesus. And create in us this idea of family and help us to truly care about other people, Jesus. And again, I want to thank you, God, for all the women in this church. They're a true blessing to us. I've seen so much insight and wisdom come from our women. I thank you for them. God, I pray on this day that it's kind of about recognizing mothers. We would morph it into just recognizing the blessing of women in general, God. Thank you. May each one feel loved and welcomed here. Um, I thank you for a church that's rich in history of, of valuing women. I thank you that Jesus Christ valued women. Thank you, God, uh, for how he modeled that. We love you today. God, now as we sing a couple songs, would you just be here and anoint this time, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.